0: Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. Friends, today our reading comes to us again from The Gospel According to Mark. Among the Gospels, Mark was the most neglected by the early church, in fact, no commentary was written on Mark until the sixth century. It is by far the shortest of the four gospels. 90% of its stories are found in either Matthew or Luke. The early church father, Augustine, considered Mark to be a mere abbreviation of Matthew and Luke. Mark's gospel also has a somewhat rougher, less literary style than that of its peers. This historical neglect, however, I'm happy to report, has been reversed in recent years, and today Mark is among the most intensely studied of the four gospels. A significant majority of scholars today consider it to have been the first gospel to appear written around 70 CE and a primary source for both Matthew and Luke. Mark writes with a powerful and energetic literary voice, full of drama, mystery, and color. Mark tells his story of Jesus with an urgency that surpasses what is found in any other gospel. Everything in the gospel seems to happen very quickly. The Greek adverb, "euthus" immediately, it occurs 42 times in this gospel, 11 times in the first chapter alone. In today's reading, we pick up where we left off last week. James and John, requesting seats of greatness next to Jesus in the coming kingdom, are met with a surprising lesson from Jesus when he tells them, Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave to all. I'm not sure that's quite the answer they were looking for, but that's the answer that they got. After this scene, Jesus and his disciples, followed by a large crowd, hit the road and make their way to Jericho. And as they enter the city, they stumble upon a man, Bartimaeus, at the city gates. And there, in that moment, something quite unexpected and marvelous happens. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, the blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on the way. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
1: Let's sit together. I want a house. sermon series, we've been asking who is at our table? Is our our table crowded with with a diversity of people? Um, Are we gathering around ourselves people who on the outside may look very different from us, but who on the inside might be so remarkably similar to us that they bring out the best of us and help us to live better lives ourselves? You've noticed, and I've said this many times, every week I stand up here and I I begin our worship service with the same kind of line. I say, you know, St. Andrew welcomes saints and sinners and believers and skeptics, the lost and the found, the wanderers and the wanderers, some version of this. And the message is that we are an open and inclusive congregation. I say this so often that I I fear that it starts to sound a bit cliche. Um, But I have to say it every week because, number one, it's true. When you're here, you are included. You're accepted for who you are. But number two, I have to say, because it's not true in a lot of other churches. Now, there are a lot of churches that will say, we accept everyone, but then you get inside and you figure that it wasn't quite the kind of acceptance or inclusion that you had in mind. They'll say, uh, you're, you're welcome here, but you can't take communion unless you're a member. Or you're welcome here, but you can't be in leadership if you are gay. Well, you're welcome here, uh, but you can't join the church unless you agree to these five essential doctrines. Uh, now this isn't inclusion. Speaker uh, Verna Myers says, diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. This is the kind of inclusion that Jesus practiced. Diversity was not the mission of Jesus. Jesus asked us to dance. And Jesus saw people not as objects to be collected and included. He saw them as subjects to commune with. And in this experience, Jesus found it very important to hang out with people who were, at least on the outside, remarkably different from him. The religious and the irreligious, the Jew and the Gentile, men and women, Pharisees, centurions, soldiers, and slaves, the rich, the destitute, the powerful, the powerless, friends, and even adversaries. And Jesus saw these people as essential to who he was. He needed them. He, He didn't include them just because he didn't want to leave anybody out. He included them because he knew he couldn't live without them. They had something to teach him. That in this relationship, in this encounter with them, they c- could teach him something. And in his relationship with them, as we watch that, we have something to learn from that. Um, this, is a, this is a discovery for many religious people to understand that the reach of God goes beyond those that are, look like us and think like us and act like us, even believe like us. And so we've seen over these last several weeks that Jesus included some important people in his circle. He included the skeptic, the child. He included the justice seeker. He included uh, the, uh, the, the ones that were, were, were even looking for, for greatness but um, couldn't find it. But Jesus says we, we include even the ally because they elevate others. This morning we come to this extraordinary story of the day, in Mark's Gospel at least, that that Jesus invites this blind Bartimaeus to the dance. Bartimaeus is the inspiring symbol of what it means to do the hard work of recovery and to find healing in our lives. And so I want to talk about, I want to talk today about those who are in recovery, those who are recovering, and and, uh, remind us that The recovering have something to teach us, and so we must include them at our tables. Before we talk about the recovering, I just wanna lift up some sobering statistics about addiction. Uh, Studies from 2019 report that 22 million Americans suffer from active substance use disorders. 23 million people today are in active addiction recovery. 45 million people are directly impacted by addiction. One in three households suffer from or are exposed to or otherwise impacted by addiction. I mean, other data collected uh, during the pandemic uh, reveals that uh, drinking and drug use among adults has skyrocketed and that fatal drug overdose has spiked to record levels. Now, my message today is not specifically about addiction, but about recovery. But I do want to invite you this morning to look inward and to ask yourself, do I need help? And if you do need help or if somebody else is telling you that you need help, ask for it. Addiction is a chronic but treatable disorder. It's characterized by this compulsive need to use drugs or to drink alcohol despite negative consequences. And this can be a physical, or a psychological illness. But it manifests itself almost always as dependence. That is to say, I can't get through the day without it. I can't get through this experience without it. I need it. I need it. I need it. And the negative consequences of addiction are a whole host and spectrum of of issues. It goes on one extreme of legal issues and DUIs, to social isolation, to family problems, to difficulties just carrying out your daily responsibilities of parenting or being in relationship or going to work. So if you suffer from addiction, please hear me. There is absolutely no judgment here. There are resources even here at St. Andrew to help you. And if you need help, all you have to do is ask. You can get well. You can get well. Every day, countless people, as you saw in the video, countless people walk in these doors of St. Andrew, and they make their way down this hallway. And for many of them, it feels on their first visit like the hall, the hall of shame, as they call it. Because they walk in and they fear that they can't come here and be vulnerable. But what they discover is when they get in that room and they sit down, they're in good company with people who just like them believe that they cannot get through this without the help of other people and without the help of God. And in that classroom, you will see a diversity of people that look totally unlike each other in so many ways. They are the executives, they are the homeless, they are the jobless, they are, they are uh, uh, wealthy, they are flat broke, they are senior citizens, they are 18 or 19 years old. They look remarkably different in every way, except that they know that they can't get through life without each other, and without the help of God. And so they go for help. And over a long period of time, over a long enough period of time, something amazing happens. They get well. They begin this journey toward wholeness and healing. Um, Whether or not we suffer from alcohol addiction or substance abuse addiction, we can learn from the recovering Why? Because we are, every one of us, addicts of some kind. We are all addicted to something. Some of us are addicted to success or achievement or the illusion of success or achievement. Some of us are addicted to keeping up with the Joneses or to wealth or comfort or appearances. Some are addicted to work, to chronic busyness, to adrenaline and the rush of a busy life. Some of us are Addicted to whatever might keep us distracted from the hard realities of our lives. Like Netflix, or extreme sports, or Angry Birds, or six-pack abs, or online shopping. We're all junkies. Addicted to something. And where does this come from? At the heart of every addiction is the fear of not being enough. And what's almost always true with those who suffer from addiction is that whether it's alcoholism or alcoholism or bulimia or worry, something deep within us tells us that we're not enough. It originates from, from something deep within us, some past trauma or some past experience, some failure or disappointment or let down, some physical flaw, some emotional imperfection And these things that are deep within us, they begin to well up and they they tell us that, um, that we're not enough and we develop this disfigured image of God, a scarred image of God. What was once beautiful and pure in us has somehow been wounded and scarred and distorted by life, by our own doing or by what the world does to us. And we spend the rest of our lives numbing it Burying it, denying it, hiding from it. The question is, how do we restore the image of God within us? Well, this is the work of those that are in recovery, this lifelong work of restoring to beauty the original blessing and image of God within us. And it's what happens with this blind Bartimaeus when he flags down Jesus one day. The streets are a mess, flooded with people. All of them are trying to get the attention of Jesus. And out of the din and chaos of that day, this blind beggar on the sidewalk calls out, Jesus, have mercy on me. His name is Bartimaeus, a son of Timaeus, as Mark says. But Bartimaeus is actually not really a name. Bartimaeus is a compound word Bar, which means son, and Timaeus, which is the father. In other words, he doesn't really have a name. He's only known as the son of Timaeus. People see him on the street begging. They say, who is he? And somebody says, I don't know. He's the son of Bartimaeus. And we do this with the the nameless in the world. The nameless on our streets, those that... uh, that don't have names or we don't know their names, we assign them some identity we label them. Ah, he's just another blind beggar, just another homeless drunk. All the nameless that are living in our streets, all the the nameless uh, who are caught in the web of addiction, all those people in the world that are forgotten or who frighten us, those people that we turn our eyes away from, they all have a name. But when enough people put a label on someone, it starts to stick. And it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. It covers up or blots out the image of God within them. But in this story, it won't be so anymore with Bartimaeus, this son of Timaeus. Have mercy on me, he says. Everyone's trying to get him to shut up. But the harder they try, the louder he cries. Lord, have mercy. It's almost embarrassing. I mean, most beggars of Jericho, they follow the the standard sort of city council-approved, tourist-friendly method of begging. You know, hold up a sign, politely keep your mouth shut. But not this Timaeus. Have mercy on me, Jesus. Here we come to the first reason that we need the recovering at our tables. They have chosen to no longer live in the prison of silence, and secrets and shame. Breaking the silence is the entryway to healing and recovery. Addiction of any kind, addiction of many kinds, thrives always in this environment of silence and shame. And When that silence is broken, that's when healing can begin for everyone. I mentioned before my own grandfather, he flew uh, combat missions in, in World War II in Europe. And when he returned to the war, he numbed the pain. And then when his own son went off to Vietnam and came back in a coffin, he numbed the pain. When his marriage fell apart, he numbed the pain. Eventually, he was so numb he left the family to numb the pain even more. I didn't know my own grandfather until I was about 13 or 14. We didn't talk about him in my family. We, we didn't mention his name. There were no photos on the wall of him. There was no thought or mention of him because the wreckage that he caused was so traumatic. But then without warning one day, he came to his senses and he came home. And like Bartimaeus on the corner of that Jericho street, he asked for mercy and forgiveness. It was a miracle. He stopped drinking. He came to faith in God. He was baptized on Christmas Eve. Over time, that image of God, once scarred and disfigured, became visible again. And over the succeeding years, he told me his story, all of his regrets, his mistakes, the psychological toll that war took on him, um, his grief over the death of his son, the 45 years that he lost to alcoholism. And what he told me in those remaining years of his life, what he taught me, was that you have to tell your secrets. Secrets, when they're held on, they become toxic. But when we share our shame and our secrets, we find healing and we allow others to be a part of that healing. Carl Jung put it this way, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. But Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And this is why we need the recovering at our tables. They teach us us about the burden of our secrets and shame. And they model for us where to lay that burden down. This son of Timaeus speaks up. He, He breaks the silence. Jesus, have mercy. And once that science is broken, Jesus tells the disciples, go get him, bring him to me. And this is such a crucial detail of the story. Jesus doesn't go to this son of Timaeus to take care of business himself. Instead, he calls on the community to step in and get involved in this man's healing. Go get him. And Jesus could have walked to him, but he knows that the work, the work is not only to heal the son of Timaeus, the real miracle The real miracle will happen only when those who sought to inhibit him begin to participate in his recovery. And in doing so, they become healed themselves. Someone told me recently about a friend of hers in the 12-step group here. Early on in uh, in his recovery, he didn't want to go to AA. He He was so full of shame and despair, he just couldn't physically bring himself to go. But these good people in the group, they would drive by his house every day and pick him up. And he said, you know, for the longest time, I thought my name was Get in the Car. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's all I ever said to him. They would knock on the door. He didn't want to go. He couldn't bring himself to go. Over over and over again, they would say, Get in the car. This is the second reason why we need the recovering at our tables. They teach us that there is no healing without the help of others. John Wesley, the Father of the Methodist movement that became United Methodism, he understood that the most powerful force in the lives of people who really wanted to grow in the grace and love of God, the most powerful force was not a great dynamic preacher, it wasn't a great music program, it wasn't a Sunday school class, it was the small group. In the 18th century, he called them bands, but these were groups of people who would gather to tell their stories and their struggles who would acknowledge to each other where they fell short and how. They would acknowledge to whom they would need to go and find reconciliation. And this is what Wesley said, one hour in a small group is more effective than 10 years of preaching. (laughs) There's no healing without the help of others. And finally, when the disciples summon this son of Timaeus, what does he do? According to Mark, he jumps to his feet and he throws off his cloak. In first century Palestine, the cloak was this outer garment. It gave you a very specific identity as a beggar. If you were a blind beggar, you were given a cloak and that was sort of your permission to go to the streets and to beg. And they'd lay their cloak on the sidewalks, the blind beggars, and and people would lay their alms out on it, their handouts. And for this reason, Timaeus his whole life was defined by his cloak. And Mark says he finally casts it away. And This is the third reason why we need the recovering at our tables. They teach us that the only obstacle to living fully in the present is finally surrendering our past. As a friend in recovery put it, we have to surrender our hope for a different past. Profound. This man has finally had enough of his old life. He throws off his cloak, the last vestige of his disease, his final excuse, his only safety net. He no longer wants to believe that the disfigurement of his soul has to be some eternal destiny. He's not going back. In the recovering, they teach us that we can't fake it. They teach us that we can't be well until we finally Let it go. The grievance, the trauma, the regret, the grief, the fear. Danny was a member of my first church in California. He was an AA sponsor. And one day he was at the church and he confessed to me that um, he had to disinform somebody that he couldn't be a sponsor anymore. This guy was lying about his drinking. And Danny told him, "Um, you're not ready to get sober and you're faking it. So get back out there and drink yourself to death. Have a great time and when you finally hit rock bottom, give me a call, but don't waste my time. And I said, Danny, that's a little harsh. He said, recovery isn't for those who need it. It's for those who want it. And the son of Timaeus casts off his cloak. He wants a new garment. And Ephesians speaks of this new garment. He says, uh, the writer, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What do you want me to do for you, says Jesus? And the man says, I want to see again. And what does he want to see? He wants to see the image of God in himself. And Jesus doesn't lay hands on him, he doesn't wave a magic wand. He just says, your faith has made you well. It doesn't always work that way. For most, maybe it's more like your faith is making you well. Your faith is making you well until at long last we can all once again see that image of God within us, hidden and buried for so long until we finally come to see that we are no longer some son of Timaeus, but children of God. Now, takeaways for today, only the silence, only when the silence is broken, can the healing begin. There is no healing without the help of others. The only obstacle to living fully in the present is surrendering finally our past.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.